that uh, nasty sick bug is kind of going around. I uh, didn't get any sleep the night before last, and then all day yesterday, like, just my nose was like a... Uh, so if I didn't greet you with a hug or a, or a handshake today, it's because I don't want you to get what I have. And, uh, and I'm using the handheld today, too, because if I have to, like, cough or something, I can pull this mic away from my face. So, um, so yeah, so bear with me as, as I'm going to present the word of the Lord with sniffles today. <laughs> we are uh, just excited to be together again. Uh, if you don't know where Pastor Joy is, she is here. She is serving with our, with our kids today. So if you, if you didn't see her beautiful greeting this morning, it's because she's over there serving your amazing kids. All right. We are taking uh, a conclusion to our sermon series called On Mission. I believe this is the last message on On Mission or maybe next week, maybe. Anyways, it's my last message for On Mission. And uh, the title of this message is called 2020 Vision. And uh, I'm just going to pray. I know we like to pray around here and I know my brother Jeremy just prayed, but I'm going to pray again too. Father, we thank you for your word, and that's what we're doing. We're coming before you with thanksgiving. We thank you for worship today. We thank you for the amazing team that brought us into your presence. And God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's living, it's active, it penetrates hearts, divides soul and spirit and joint and marrow. God, it's the discerner of the thoughts and intentions of our heart, changes us and molds us, and it's, uh, God, a reflection God, of the character of God unto our lives. And, Lord, we want to reflect to you in all we do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I almost got choked up in that prayer. That was crazy. That was crazy. All right, 2020 vision. We did not have a very good representation of 2020 in the year 2020. Now, did we? <laughs> But if you, if you were to look up that word in, uh, in the dictionary, what the context of what, what it means is 2020 vision is a term used to express normal visual acuity. The clarity or sharpness of vision measured at about a distance of 20 feet. Many of us have seen that sign. It's got a big old E on it, and then there's a bunch of other little letters and then they usually will tell you how good your vision is by what line you can stop seeing those little letters. So that's kind of what, when they say, if you have 2020 vision, that is the term of you have perfect vision. And uh, so um, I pray that God would perfect our vision, right? That we could see in a spiritual sense. Amen. So uh, our church is called Vision. Isn't that interesting? Vision. And, uh, and so, like, when we first founded our church, we founded it on this verse, which is found in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. In the King James Version, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. So it's our job to bring vision <laughs> For people to stop perishing, and that's kind of multiple. You know, it's it's multiple 
ways. Vision as in vision for people's lives, vision for, you know, the Lord, the church vision itself. So where there's no vision, the people perish. So we got this idea of vision back when my wife and I were youth pastors. And when we were youth pastors, that was back in like 2005, and we actually named our youth ministry 2020 Youth. So there's like, I don't know, back in the early 20, 2000s, I don't know if they do that now, but back in the early 2000s, there was this thing, if you had a church, a youth church, you had to have a cool name. It was like a fad thing, like, you know, like we, you know, or the Ignite Youth Ministry or Ablaze or whatever. So in our young 20-year-old minds thinking, we're like, we need to come up with an awesome name for our youth. And, uh, and we just couldn't get away from this whole thing on vision and seeing clearly and eyes being opened. And so we named our youth ministry 2020. And this concept of this 2020, uh, our motto, I guess you would say as a youth ministry was, eyes on the lost while fixed on the cross. So this whole thing of having eyes that you're, that you're seeing people who need Jesus, but that you're also keeping your eyes fixed on him. Because you can just have your eyes on Jesus and not on the lost, and you can have your eyes on you know, lost people and get off balance and not keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and yada, yada, yada. So, so not trying to be like cross-eyed or anything, but having this view of being able to see Christ and see people at the same time. So then a year later, when we planted Vision Ministries, uh, we still felt like God put in us this thing about vision. So we're like, God didn't get, like give us this whole thing of vision just for us to have a youth ministry for a year and a half and it just to be that. So we named our church Vision because it was still, we felt like it was still applicable. Like God's still, like people still need to see God in a real way. And our motto at that time when we planted Vision Ministries was to see God move in his power and restore vision to a dying generation. And I want to tell you, both of those models are still applicable today. Still, that's still my heart. My heart is still having an eye for the lost. why we do so much outreach ministry. Our heart is still to keep our eyes fixed on the cross. That's why we love Jesus. Our, our heart is still to see God move in his power. I mean, we want to see God touch people in an amazing way. And to restore vision, man, we have a, a people, a group of people, a generation of people who don't really know what true vision is for their lives. And so we've kind of went through this, I don't know, this church thing of having mottos and having slogans and having all of these things. And you probably have heard any of these or saw them on t-shirts. These are the things that we would say. As a church, you know, we're a church that believes in hope to others. And then we made big old t-shirts about that. Hope to others, hope to others, hope to others. But then we we're like, that just seems like it's missing something. So then we're like, well, we got to incorporate more stuff. So it was like faith in Christ, hope to others, love for God. So it's like, oh, you know, we need to have faith in Christ to give hope to others so that they can have love for God type of thing. And then we put those on like t-shirts and stuff and all that stuff. And then, and then, you know, and so, and, and it's not that the, it's not that the, the mission changes, the mission never changes, but sometimes you just change words. You make things more relevant or fresh, you know? So here recently you've been hearing this 
And this is kind of, it's all of the same. Like I said, it's, it's the, you know, for the lost, for the cross. It's all, it's all the same stuff, but just different wording. And this is what we've been saying here recently. And this is what was on our newest t-shirts. <laughs> Being real, loving God, loving people, releasing vision. And, and I actually, uh, when we first started our On Mission series, I did a message on that, which I haven't put on, on YouTube yet because I'm actually going to preach that next week at our South Seattle campus. So. Um, so if you didn't hear that message, it will be going online soon. So you can check out like what we mean. What does being real mean? Loving God, loving people. What's relation? What, is that, what does all that mean? And so I kind of get into all that. So. 2020 vision. So all I say all of this stuff to say <laughs> we believe and continue to believe that people need to see God. So number one in our points today, number one is, friends, we need to see God as he truly is. That's what vision is about. Vision is about seeing, having clarity. I was blind, but now I see. And the first thing that we need to see is there's this huge thing. You have to find yourself. You, you need to go and all this. No, no, what you need to find is Jesus. Because I was trying to find myself. That didn't work out too well. But as soon as I found Jesus, I found identity. I found purpose. I found value. And I, and I, I found my reason for being. And nothing has been the same ever since then. And so, friends, number one, we need to see God as he truly is. Not as the image that's being created about him or not as the image that maybe even we have in our own mind of him or not in the image of what the culture is saying about him or not in the image of even of what certain churches say about him. Friends, we need to see God as he truly is. And what I'm going to propose to you today is if you want the best picture of God the best way to picture God is to picture him through the words that he spoke about himself, right? Like seriously, like if you want to know somebody, if somebody, and you were to try to explain them, the person is going to explain themselves in the way they will view themselves. And so <laughs> I think the way God views himself is the best way that we need to view him. And, the, and, the, and where we find that is found in Exodus chapter 34. If you got your Bibles, turn your Bibles to Exodus 34. And as you're turning there, I'm going to blow my nose. I got a bunch of these in my back pocket, so we stayed stacked. We need to see God as he truly is. Now, the thing is, is God says that no man can see God and live, right? He says that. No one can see him and live. So in, in this passage of scripture, Moses wants to see God. And he says he has this audacious ask. <laughs> I had to make sure I put the, the end of that. He has this audacious ask. And he says to God, show me your glory. What he's saying is, God, I want to see you in all of your goodness. And God says, that's a nice gesture. No man can see me and live. <laughs> you will die. You can't do that. But what we'll do is we'll hide you in the cleft of the rock, 
I'll put, you know, I'll, I'll put my hand over you and I'll pass before you and then you can see my rear. And if you have any immaturity in your brain, I, I look at it as like seeing God's rear end, like, <laughs> yes, everyone is already there. I'm there. <laughs> so if God's rear end can cause your face to glow and shine, we have to cover it. What if you saw God's face? Right? But he's like, no man could see God. And so, so, so Moses, so he puts Moses up in the cleft of the rock. And here we're, we're going to read here in verse 6. It says, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. So God is describing himself as compassionate and gracious. And we're going to, and, and there's more to this. So people who have this skewed view of God as being this wrathful, vengeful, that is, a part, that is one of the aspects of the nature is the wrath of God, absolutely. But it isn't the very first way God described himself. He didn't describe himself as the, you shall fear and bow down before me, God. He could have, and we all would have. But he didn't describe himself like that. The very first thing he says, the compassionate and gracious. Like I said, God speaking about himself is the best way to see God as he truly is. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to a thousands. Another generation, or excuse me, another translation will say, to a thousand of generations of those who love me. And forgiving sin and wickedness and rebellion. So there's, there's the first part of it. Yet... So here's the other half, right? Have you ever heard, um, like, a person, they'll say, like, um, you know, don't, don't cross me or don't push my buttons or don't, like, I seem nice now, but if you, you know, cross over, then you're going to see a part of me that you don't want to see. And, and to me, that's almost like God, like, my, his nature is, is love. You know, he says, slow to anger. We see, but we saw God get angry a lot with the early Israelites, right? Uh, abounding in love and mean, so, so, I mean, so they really had to push his buttons. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He's just. Absolutely just. God cannot sin and has not sinned. No sin can actually even be in his presence. It says he punishes, now this is hard. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents of the third and fourth generation. If you don't believe in generational curses, you need to read the scriptures. It's right there. It's right there. When I committed my life to Christ, I know that I had a generational curse of alcoholism. I know I had a generational curse of adultery and multiple other things. Generational curse of womenizing, blah, 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 blah. And so when I committed my, my life to Christ... And I said yes to God, and, and, the, and he filled me with the Spirit. I renounced that. I renounced that. Because my grandfather was an alcoholic. He was an abusive person. He got divorced from his, from his, uh, his wife. He uh, cheated on her multiple times. My father was an alcoholic. He did the exact same thing, right? So what was coming down the, the family lineage? And so when I see the scripture, I'm like, oh, so like for me, 
I've committed my life to Christ so that hopefully my kids don't have that, right? Like breaking those chains, breaking those curses, breaking those assignments. And, and why is that? Is that because God is not compassionate and, and gracious? No, God gives us this, a beautiful, amazing gift called free will, and we can take this beautiful gift called life, and we can absolutely destroy ourselves with it. And that's, that's the thing about the nature of God. He gives us the choice to choose him or, or choose sin. I love it what Joshua said when, uh, when he was speaking in front of all of them. I think it's Joshua chapter 24. He says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose this day whom you're going to serve. And that's how I feel like even like, you know, I've, you know, it's obviously in the scriptures. That was the heart of Joshua. I believe that's the heart of God. It's like, let me show you how good I am. But if you don't want to choose me, that's fine. He even says in the book of Revelation, he says, I wish you were either hot or cold. Like, don't do this whole, God, I love you, I kind of am about you, but then I don't want anything to do with you stuff. Right? That's confusing. Nobody wants that. God says, be, be hot. Be on fire for me. Be passionate for me. Or be cold. Just totally just like disregard me altogether, please. Like, don't associate. Like, like if you don't want me, don't say you want me, but then you're not doing it. You know what I mean? Like, that, that would be a terrible marriage to be in, right? Wouldn't it? Like, if you were committed to someone and the person was like, I love you, but then their actions show you that they don't, it'd be terrible to live in a, in a relationship like that. So God explains to us exactly his nature and gives us the ability to see God for who he truly is. And this is why our heart is to see God as he truly is. Because Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 21 says, says, hear this, you foolish people and senseless people. You have eyes but do not see. You have ears but do not hear. And then Jesus actually quotes that in Mark 8 verse 18, saying, having eyes, speaking pretty much to the Pharisees, having eyes you do not see and having ears do not hear, and do you not remember? And so it's very easy for people and the people of God for us to forget. <laughs> he says over and over in Scripture, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget because we forget. Don't forget what the Lord's done for you. I've already forgot. <laughs> I mean, how easy is it for us to forget how faithful our God is? I mean, and, and I've and I haven't been serving the Lord as long as, as some folks, but man, it's easy to forget how faithful God was or how he still is in certain uh, circumstances. Very easy for us. And so our heart and our message as a church is this, because when you do this, it makes, I mean, everything flows from this. And it's Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, fix your eyes on Jesus. Friends, don't fix your eyes on a preacher. <laughs> Friends, don't fix your eyes on your neighbor. <laughs> don't fix your eyes on the culture. Don't fix your eyes on, on anything other than Christ. And then allow your perspective of the world, of your neighbors, of your spouse, of your loved ones, all to be filtered through the lenses of Jesus. Is that easy? No. What well, that takes is self-discipline on your end. 
take self-discipline on my end, that I'm coming before the Lord on a constant basis. I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of my faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, keeping my eyes fixed on him. And then when I keep my eyes fixed on him, my perspective of those around me will be the way that he wants me to see them. Does that make sense to you? So number one, friends, we need to see God as he truly is. And then number two, friends, we need to see ourselves the way God sees us. Now, I'm going to disagree with, uh, with certain, uh, certain theology of, of certain beliefs who would deem that, that we need to continually look at ourselves in a negative connotation. Do we make mistakes? Yes. Are we sinners? Yes, but we're also saints. Right? What was a sinner, a person who sins? Do you sin? Yes. If you don't, you'd be Jesus. <laughs> But there's a, there's a belief that's been taught, well, you know, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. But the scripture addresses you as a saint to all the saints in Philippi, to all the saints in Waterville. Come on. I love it. Come on, Papa. To all the saints in Waterville. So if, if the Lord is addressing us as a saint, there's a perspective that he sees of us that we may not see of ourselves. And a lot of times we may see ourselves through the perspective of our failings and our flaws and our inadequacies and our indifferences and our sins and all that other stuff. But we really need to see ourselves the way that God sees us. And I have found in my 20 plus years of ministry that I find that people either think too highly of themselves or they think too small of themselves. There are some... <laughs> There are some people who believe, man, they're God's gift to the world. I mean, you kind of are, but you don't need to think that. <laughs> right? Like you are, like seriously, like God brought you on this planet. You are a gift. But you can't think that you're that. Right? <laughs> like you can't go around and be like, man, I'm God's gift to you. I'm God's gift to the world. It's thinking a little too highly of yourself right there. And on the, other th on the other side, we can't think of ourselves as a doormat. We can't let people run all over us. We can't let people just say whatever they want to say and do whatever they want do to us. Because that's thinking too small of yourself. Because you deserve better than that. Right? You're a king, you're, or excuse me, you're a prince or a princess uh, that is a part of the kingdom of God in which he's the king of kings. And so... We are to, in order to kind of like balance this whole thing out, is we need to clothe ourselves with humility. So uh, it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, about thinking too highly of ourselves, it says, For by the grace given me, I say to each one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. He's saying this to the Romans, right? The Romans were, they were more of the uppity, upper class type of people, right? They were the ones that had a little bit more money. They usually had a little bit more education. They're the ones that had a little bit more success. So he's saying to the Romans, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. It's like use all of those, those positions and all of that stuff. Use that for the Lord. It says, but 
think of yourself with a sober judgment. Remember who you are. Remember where God brought you. I love that. And in Deuteronomy, God even tells that to the people. He says, when you say, man, look at all this wealth I built for myself. I'm doing such a great job. He said, remember, it was the Lord who gave you the strength to produce wealth for yourself. Just remember, God did it. He's the reason why you have success. He's the reason why you have anything <laughs> that's good in your life. And so it's a, just a constant reminder that, that any success that you see in Josh Hester's life is because of Christ. It's because of Jesus. Think of yourself with, with sober judgment in accordance to the faith God has distributed to you. So it's just like, Keep, knock yourself down a notch. But then on the other side, there's some people who maybe they're on the other end of the spectrum and they think too low of themselves. And we see what happens and what happens. So it's, it's the, it's the, I call it the pride and insecurity. So on one end is pride. And that pride is maybe you think too highly of yourself. Sometimes that pride is masquerading in, I don't need anyone's help. I can do this on my own. Sometimes that pride is, and um, look at I've done all this on my own, and, and it's all about me. And then on the whole other flip side is insecurity. And insecurity is, you know, I don't deserve this. I, I, will, never, I will never measure up. I will never do this, I will, this, that, and the other. And social media doesn't help in this realm of insecurity because you'll look at other people's highlight reels, and you'll say, Wow, look at their families. Wow, look at their kids. Wow, look at their success. Wow, look at their job. Wow, look at their church. Wow, look, blah, 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 blah. And the enemy will begin to, if you have any level of, of insecurity, man, he'll just like pick that thing apart. And so we see what happens when you have insecure leaders. We see that in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 17. As so Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become head over the tribe of Israel, the Lord's anointed king over Israel? And if you know anything about King Saul, he thought of himself in a lowly position. And what he did was he actually built a monument to himself. Look at me. Look at what I've done. Wasn't it the Lord who pulled you out of baggage? Wasn't it the Lord who looked at you and saw you hiding? Wasn't it the Lord who... who picked you out from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest of the tribe, the smallest of this, and said, here, I'm making you and appointing you. And so I look at myself, and I'm like, that's why, if you've ever heard me say this, it's my way of keeping myself in check, is apart from Christ, Josh is just a North Toledo hood rat. Like, seriously, like, like Josh, apart from Christ, is ugly. I don't want to know who that person is, and neither do you. And so it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the reason. He's the reason for success. He's the reason I do what I do. He's the reason I wake up in the morning. And so when I see myself, I don't see myself as, look at everything that Josh Hester has pulled himself out of. No, look at everything that the Lord has pulled Josh Hester out of. Come on, somebody. Say amen right there. And in your, and in your situation, if you, have, if you have a beautiful spouse, if you, have ama if you have beautiful kids, I was about to say amazing because they're not always amazing because sometimes they're really good on your nerves. If you have beautiful kids, right, if you enjoy what you do in your career, if you have any success of monetary value or of uh, physical value or, or uh, relational value, all of that can be attributed to the Lord that is involved in your life. Surrendering our hearts and our lives to Jesus. And when we do that, we become sons and daughters. He is our heavenly father. And he grafts us into his family. And we actually become a 
prince or a princess, and we also have to remain, even though you're you don't go around wearing a crown like I'm I'm the son of the king and you know and bow down to me. No, no, you are a servant. <laughs> you're a servant. And so God sees us in this context of being, I don't even know how you would even say it, of being like this uh, son servant. It's like a hyphenated. Or a daughter servant, and you can hyphenate that. Because you've been given all of the privileges of heaven as your heavenly father have, has given, right? Jesus said, the keys of the kingdom have been given to me. Whatever you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So he's given you this authority. Now, you don't use that authority, and as Jesus told him, lord over people with it. I was modeled under Keith Step. It's called servant leadership. So if you see Josh Hester pushing a broom or a vacuum in here, it's because there's nothing in here that I would not ask you to do that I would not do myself. When we first became uh, ministers of the gospel, and people would ask, how do I get into ministry? How do I do this? How do I get my own building? How do I blah, blah, blah? I would say, first, you need to become the pastor of porcelain. And they'd be like, what? <laughs> Here's a plunger. You need to learn how to unclog a drain. Because literally, that's what pastors do. You're going to be shifting through poo. Like, like in, in a literal sense, you know, in people's lives. And so you got to be able to, you got to be able to fix the toilet. And you got to be able to be available for the person who needs you. You got to be able to figure out, and if you can't do that stuff, you need to put people around you who can do some of that stuff. And so we were, we were modeled servanthood leadership. And so, so it's this whole blend of you're a servant of the most high God. Jesus himself, right? It said that, that he, he took his, his, uh, heavenly attributes and he almost put them on a shelf. Friends, he put a, a, a like a loincloth around his waist and he washed his servant's feet, and in those and in those days, I mean, there was probably dirt and crud. I mean, it was it wasn't like you taking your shoe off and taking your sock off and having a nice clean foot, even though it may smell a little bit. We're talking nasty. I mean, there could have been we don't know. I mean, there could have been like animal droppings in between the toes. I mean, we don't know, right? I mean, think about this. I mean, they're walking on 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 paths going from city to city, and there's mud and dirt and animal feces. And, and so Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples, showing us servanthood. And so it is our job to see ourselves as sons, as daughters, as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, as, as a son or daughter of the Most High God, but yet we're still a servant. Paul would even go on to say that he is a slave of Christ. Now, we don't like that word anymore in our culture. There's a negative connotation to it. But what slavery means in his connotation was indentured servant, meaning I'm a servant and I owe you so much that I now have to become, like, put myself into servitude because my debt cannot be repaid. And that's how, that's how our heart should be for the Lord. It's like, you, we will never be able to repay the debt of what he did for us. Seriously. So we serve him with a heart of thanksgiving saying, Lord, I'm indebted to you. You guys still with me? So number one, friends, we need to see God as he truly is. Number two, we need to see ourselves the way that God sees us. And then number three, friends, 
We need to see others through the eyes of Jesus. And I already kind of talked about this a little bit. We need to see ourselves through the eyes of Jesus. And this kind of gets me here. This whole passage of scripture that we're going to read, which is found in Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46. So turn your Bibles there while I take a swig of water. Matthew chapter 25. We're going to read verse 31 through 46. You guys ready to read the word? It's a nice big old chunk of scripture. I'm reading actually out of the New International Version. Verse 31. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Verse 32. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So we really, anyone in here ever shepherd animals before? Debbie, right? <laughs> oh, Kim, too? So I, you know, I don't know in what connotation you would need to separate sheep from goats. I don't know if there's like a feeding thing or mating thing or whatever, or if there's a, or you just let them all kind of just like eat and live together. So I don't know. So all I know is he's at a separate, so he's, just, he's separating them together. So any person that, that knows livestock, farm animals, you're like, yeah, I get this. The rest of us city folk, like, what's a goat? <laughs> Other than like LeBron James or Michael Jordan, like, like what's a goat? Verse 33. <laughs> when he put the sheep on his right and the goats to his left. So before we continue reading, what do you want to be? You want to be a sheep, right? You want to be at the right hand of God, right? Okay. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come to me, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Wow. Think of that for a minute. You know how deep that, that verse is? Prepared for you since the creation of the world. God had this amazing, incredible plan. He already knew from the beginning and that, you were, that he was planning for you to be with him forever. And he strategized that already before you were thought of. Wow. <laughs> I know I wasn't thought of back then. That's crazy. Verse 35. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. Unless you had COVID, you stayed away from me. <laughs> I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him. Wow. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will re reply, truly I say to you, whatever you did for the least of these of mine, brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then, uh-oh. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. 
That's a notion. So he's saying, basically, hell was prepared for the devil. It wasn't prepared for you. Verse 42. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. And I will hand sanitize this microphone. I promise you. I promise you, I will. <laughs> I bet you did. We're going to like, like get it all. I'm going to actually dunk it right into the hand sanitizer. Verse 34. I was a stranger. You did not invite me in. I was in need of clothes. You did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison. You did not look after me. Verse 44. This is, this is why I, I just have this little part highlighted here. They will also answer, Lord, when did we not see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or in need of clothes or sick person or did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do to the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal punishment. Life. Leave that. Leave that uh, slide up there for me. Thank you. Um, they say this. They're standing before the Lord. This isn't. This isn't an, an allegory. This is what's really going to happen. This isn't. This isn't just like a story to to for for a reason. We're going to be thousands, probably millions of people that are going to say. He said, "Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these things?" And you'll say, "Depart from me." It says, they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, and all these things? Lord, when did we see you? Notice the word, Lord. Lord, when did we not minister to you? Let me tell you this. If you don't leave with anything today, leave with this. Goats go to church, but only focus on themselves. The goats were self-focused and could not see the Lord. Goats cannot see the needs of others. They will miss opportunities to minister to Jesus. Friends, we live in a generation that's more fixed on ourselves than ever before. And the scripture tells us, in the end times, people will be lovers of themselves. And not just the world, I'm talking about even in the church, we've become lovers of ourself. Fixed on ourself. And friends, when we are so fixated on ourself, we will not see the needs of those around us. You cannot see Jesus when you're focused on yourself. You can't see Jesus. I believe self is the new idolatry of 2020, of 20th century. Back in the day, it was Baal, right? I mean, you always see that. You see that through the Old Testament. I mean, it was like worship of Jehovah, worship of Baal. I mean, he's always like popping his little head up here and there. You're like, oh, there's more worship of Baal. And then like, and then they'd get rid of it and then it'd pop up again, worship of Baal. And it's like, the, it was idolatry. The modern day idolatry is self, the worship of self. I 
I wrote this down, so I'm going to just say it. So, so sometimes you get bold enough to write stuff down, and then you're like, oh, that's going to be tough. You ready for this one? You got your boots, you got your boots strapped? Because this applies to everyone now, not just, not just your teenagers. You can't see Jesus when your face is stuck in your phone. Ooh, I felt that pierce me. I mean, think about this. There used to be a time when you would sit on a bus and maybe you'd read a book or newspaper or whatever, but you were, you were very aware of people who were around you or sitting in an office or sitting in a public space. But now we are, our attention has been drawn to this beautiful little device that is back there running our internet. <laughs> Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be like, a, like mean or anything, and I'm preaching to myself. But the majority of, of what social media does is it pulls us into this desire for wanting people to like us. Seriously. How many times have you posted something? Just hold on. Listen to me. Let's say you posted something in the morning. How many times did you check your notifications to see how many people liked your stuff? I would say on average, and correct me if I'm wrong, at least three or four. Is that correct? Would you say? Because inside of us, we've, we've bought into this thing. It's like, I posted this for people to see, and I want people to see me. I want people to like it. I want people to admire it. And, it's, and, and so, again, nothing wrong with social media. But what it does is it begins to put in our hearts this self-promotion thing that begins to pull uh, focus on us. Is that okay? Can I say that? Okay. So, friends, we just got to just try to do our best to, you know, be focused on Jesus. Now, the thing is, is you see the sheep it was such a habit. This is what's crazy. It was such a habit to love on people and to do things for people. They didn't even realize they were doing it to Jesus. They said, Lord, when did we ever minister to you? We were just feeding poor people. We were just visiting sick people. We were just giving our extra clothes to people who needed it. And Jesus said, when you were doing that for them, you were doing it to me. They didn't even realize they were doing it for the Lord. And so it, it brings, you know, this uh, inside of me, inside of Josh Hester, it brings this awareness that everything that I do to others, I'm doing to Christ. And whatever I'm doing for others, I'm doing for Christ. So, I mean, again, not to like beat a dead horse, but think of this. If you flick somebody else, if you flick somebody off in traffic, can I go there? <laughs> you finish the rest. Seriously. I mean, that changes your perspective, don't it? It changes my perspective. 
Okay, so your waitress was crummy. Maybe she had a crummy day. Does she deserve a tip? Yeah. She's working a crappy job and brought you food. And she didn't cook it. You might be mad at her, but she didn't cook it. If it was cold, if it wasn't right, she didn't do that. Her job was to take the food that someone else prepared and put it right in front of you. Does she deserve for you to tell her off? No. Anyways, I got to get off this because this is just a downwards trail. We don't want to just, I don't want to just sit here and keep hitting you with these blows. We got to move on here. See, we need to see people with not just our natural eyes, our physical eyes. We need to see people with our spiritual eyes. We need to see people with the eyes that the Lord gives us. And that's why it says, because all of us do this, friends. That's why it says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. And if you know anything about what this passage of scripture is talking about, it's talking about the brothers of David. And so he actually, Samuel the prophet, say prophet, man of God, hears of the Lord. Not a single word fell to the ground. Scripture says he was one of the greatest prophets of all of Israel, right? He looks at this man and sees his stature and sees his height and says, that's got to be God's anointed. Look how good he looks. And what does God say? This is what he says. He says, the Lord does not look at people. Excuse me. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So this whole thing about having 20-20 vision, the whole thing about seeing people the way God sees it is to try to see people not with just our natural eyes, but to see people with the, with the eyes of the Lord the way he sees them. Is this easy? Yes, it's absolutely easy. No. Because what that, what that does is, is it constantly brings us into this awareness of trying to look at people the way Christ would want you to look at them. And that's work. But that's the work that's worth being rewarded for. Let me say this again. That is the work we will be rewarded for. Is when we can look past our circumstance, look past somebody's physical appearance, see what they really need, and love on them. Come on, someone. If you were uh, a part of our banquet, if you came, then you heard me say this. I said this. I said, the Lord needs to do this work in us where we see people beyond their current circumstance. Like we need to see people beyond their current circumstance. I'm going to just share this real quick, and then uh, got a few more verses, and then we're going to end. I'm going to share this. And I probably shared this before, but it's okay. You get to hear it again. At our South Toledo campus, um, before sir, before church, kind of like how Sarah does for us, can we thank Sarah for coffee and thank you? She's over there serving those amazing cupcakes that were left over from a birthday party. So we have at our South Toledo campus, same thing. We have a coffee bar, serve coffee, but also we have this incredible connection with Wixie Donuts, where we get donuts. So they get. Nice spread, right? If you don't know anything about Wixie, they have great donuts. So, yes. <laughs> Any connections with donut people out here in Waterville? 
So every Sunday we have you know coffee, hot chocolate for kids, and donuts. So we would it would not be a bizarre uh, sight to see people walk into our church, um, come and get a coffee, come and get a donut, and walk out. Especially people that no seriously like like seriously, and especially people that were like homeless or homeless guys. So there's this there's this guy. Uh, He's one of our neighborhood drunks, and um, and I know his name, but I'm not going to say it because I'm not trying to dishonor him. Uh, I've had many conversations with him. I've prayed with him many times. He comes in, comes in the door, you know, hey, Pastor Josh, and I talked to him for a little while, reeking of alcohol, and uh, I'm like, you're going to stay for service? He's like, no, man, I'm just going to get a donut and get a coffee. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm like, how can I pray for you? And then... Uh, start praying for him, and, um, you know, get his stuff. I mean, sometimes I pray for him. Like, he'd, I mean, usually after I was praying for him, he'd, like, hug me and just say thank you. Um, but so one time he's walking away, you know, this was kind of a, uh, you know, it wasn't a rare occurrence. He's walking away. And the Lord dropped this in my heart and changed my life forever. And uh, this is what he said. He said, will you continue to love him even if he never changes? Because what happens is we love conditionally, right? As a, as a minister of the gospel, I'm only loving you in the belief that one day you're going to come to Christ. But what if that day never happens while I continue to love him? Because many of us will give up and be like, he's had so many opportunities. He's never going to change. I'm just going to stop. Will you continue to love him even if he never changes? That's the heart of God. He's got, God will literally love us even if we continue to never change. And then we obviously will make the decision to be with him forever or to be separated with him forever. And so, man looks on the outside, God looks at the heart. And so, that's my challenge to myself that I continually am challenged by and my challenge to you, is will you love people even if they will never change? Will you love your coworker even if they don't seem to want to hear anything about Jesus? Will you love that spouse who doesn't want anything to do, to, do with church? Will you continue to love that sibling that for some reason just has a hardness towards God or hardness towards the Lord or hardness towards scripture? Will you continue to love on your, your child who's estranged? Will you continue to love? Will you continue to do that? Friends, to have 20-20 vision, we need to have a pure heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. This is my last verse here. He says this. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It doesn't say blessed are the corrupt in heart, blessed are the perverse in heart. Blessed are the jealous. Blessed are the hardened. And I'm just saying all these things because these are all the things that try to challenge our heart. Corruption tries to challenge our hearts. Your, your values will be challenged, right? Your character will be challenged. What's integrity? What's, what's the definition of integrity? I've said it before. What's the definition? Say it out loud. Tell me, shout it. Okay, I guess I'll say it again. Integrity is doing the right thing when no one's looking. 
That's it. Yeah, that, that's the one, right? The Lord's always looking. Your integrity is going to be challenged. Your character is going to be challenged. Your heart's going to be challenged with corruption. Our hearts are going to be challenged with perversion. Our hearts are going to be challenged with jealousy. Our hearts are going to be challenged to become hardened. That's why Jesus said, let, let, uh, let none of you, let not your hearts be hardened, right? Or maybe it was Paul. I just know it's in the Bible. So we need to have a pure heart. If God sees our heart and it's not pure, we will not see him. So it's our job to keep ourselves to have pure hearts. This was not in there because this is what it says. It says, what is true and spotless religion? Or excuse me, what is true and faultless religion? This is what it says in the book of James. True and faultless religion is this. To look after orphans and widows and to keep yourself from being spotted from this world. That's just keeping your heart pure. Can I pray for you today? Just go ahead and take a moment. And if there's anything in that... Now, anything in that message that challenges you today, just take that before the Lord. Because the, the word of God is for, it's for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Not just the man of God, the woman of God. It's to teach us, it's to train us, it's to challenge us. And so, Father, we thank you, God. <laughs> Our church is named Vision because truly, truly, truly do we need to be able to see. We, we don't want to be like the ones that you said that have eyes but don't see and ears that do not hear. And God, and if we, in some point in this journey with you, if we've allowed scales on our eyes, I pray that even uh, as Ananias prayed for Paul and the scales were removed from his eyes, Lord, would you remove the scales of religion from our eyes just like Paul? God, would you remove the scales of selfish ambition off of, our, off of our lives, God? God, would you remove the scales of hardness and hard-heartedness? God, if we're not viewing you correctly, God, if we're not viewing ourselves correctly, God, if we're not viewing others correctly, would you remove those blinders? God, would you remove those scales? God, that we can see truly. God, would you open our eyes just like you did the servant with Elijah? He was like, I'm surrounded, I'm going to die. And God, and his eyes were open, and he realized that the chariots of fire were, were surrounding them and protecting them from the enemy. Lord, I pray that our spiritual eyes would be opened in the name of Jesus, that we would see beyond our physical world and our physical circumstances, Lord. Help us to see you. Help us to see you, Lord. Let us have the heart like Moses that would say, God, I want to see you. <laughs> I want to see you, Lord. Give us the revelation of your love in a greater context. Give us a revelation of your love for, for others in a greater context. God, help us see ourselves the way you see us. Lord, help us to, God, if we look at ourselves and we see a small little person, if we look at ourselves and we see ourselves as weak, as a coward, as minute, 
Help us to see ourselves, God, that you, God, that you've put in us the boldness as a lion. You've put in us, God, authority, God, that we can speak and declare. God, you've given us, God, uh, Lord, a, a, a seat at your table. And we are not rejected. We've been accepted and grafted into your family, God. And help us view ourselves from the perspective of your love that you have for us. And from that, God, our hearts would want to do whatever it takes to please you. And then, God, help us to see others, not with the perspective of hopelessness and brokenness and their current reality and their current circumstance and their current situation. But God, help us to see them the way you see them and see the potential that you have for them. God, to see the love that you have for them. God, and to be actually as uh, you would call us hands and feet to love on them. And not even knowing, God, we're doing that for you. We're doing that to you. And God, we want to be called sheep, not goats. <laughs> And Lord, we just commit our life to you again. We commit our hearts to you again. We commit our passions to you again. God, we commit our focus to you again. God, I commit my marriage to you again. I commit my children to you again. We commit this church to you again. God, we commit the city of Waterville to you again, God, and, and the surrounding cities. God, we, we commit, God, that you would be Lord over Waterville and over White House, and over Monclova, and over Swanton, and over Liberty Center, and over Maumee, and over Toledo, and over Northwest Ohio. Jesus, be Lord of these places. We, again, just thank you for all you've done for us. And you've done so much. You've done so much, and you're going to continue to do so much more. We love you in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. And now you get the blessing. You ready for that? All right. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and may he give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, friends.